Hey everybody, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. Uh, this is a podcast full of long-form conversations with artists, entrepreneurs, educators, people that are living unconventional lives in unconventional locations. Glad you're here. Um, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Today on the show, uh, getting back to the interviews, and uh, this is a conversation that I had with Mr. James Shomar. And uh, James is someone who, who I, we've kind of been in each other's orbit for a little while, but, but haven't really uh, talked a whole lot. And, and he wrote a post uh, towards the end of, of uh, last year that was um, kind of making the argument that, that uh, communities that are all across the country that are, that are trying to do economic development need to rethink or should at least start rethinking the model uh, around that, particularly as it as it relates to um, folks that are the most economically disadvantaged. And so James is a, is a partner at Startfast in Syracuse, New York. And Startfast is an organization where um, uh, entrepreneurs come from all over the country uh, for a summer, and they work with mentors. And there's some there's some uh, uh, programmatics, and um, there's a there's a big pitch competition at the end for investors, and and some of these companies go and get money, and they they launch their companies, and. Um, so, you know, we in this conversation, we start to talk about um, kind of the, the economic development landscape and, and, and investment, um, kind of, you know, the whole investment scene in places that are not Silicon Valley. Um, and, you know, some of the things that are working, some of the things that are not working. This is a, this is a conversation or an interview really where if you've never really thought about um, or don't know how things like venture and angel investment work, um, or you know how how companies approach investors or, or investor mentality. Like this is something that you might want to pay attention to. It's a it's a it's a part of the ecosystem that you know I don't really um, have a lot of experience with with myself, and so so there's a lot of a lot of ground we cover uh, in this, and uh, and hope you find some some tidbits useful. This is my conversation with James Shomar. You know I've been in these situations before where like um, uh, it's just a small project of mine, and it's just like I've been I've had conversations with people. Um, as I'm sure you have in your role where, um, you're like, God, I, I wish like, you don't know it at the time necessarily, but like, oh, I wish other people could hear that. And oh, so I've just started doing that. And like, some of them are great and like some of them aren't, aren't so great, but, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm interested in, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk to you about anyway. That, and I just thought, Oh, if it's okay, I'll, I don't know. It's a great idea. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because about, wow, it's a couple months ago now, I think. Um, I was mentoring these two entrepreneurs here in Syracuse, you know, again, just a total pay it forward thing. Um, and was just realizing like they were really getting caught up in a lot of the, um, I don't know what to say the, because we don't have the same sort of startup culture that you see in different sort of, uh, major metros, uh, yeah. major startup metros, I'll say mm -hmm. actually, because not even just major metros a lot of that is shockingly similar to upstate, but like the San Francisco's, New York's, Boston's, Austin's of the world, they get caught up in a very different idea of what high growth means. And they were stuck in that, like, oh yeah, we're partnering with this company and all of these like masquerades for actually not a lot is going on. And I said, guys, you need, you know, you're in an industry where you're going to compete with someone who probably just raised $50 million. You need yeah. to bump up sales. So I, I made an intro to 
Bruce O'Brien, who's the VP of sales at Spincar, who was awesome, who just, I mean, he was a major, major role in helping build that company ground up inside sales, just to give him that little, like, you know, yeah. smack talk. And it was, it was so awesome. I, I was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, I really wish I recorded that because mm-hmm. so many companies need to hear that. Like that just needed to be preserved. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A, a mindset shift. Yeah, it was just one of those like, you know, certain, they're very candid, hard questions yeah. for an entrepreneur, but, but really important, like, you know, um, can, will, will your company be alive tomorrow if you don't make a sale today? And he goes, well, yeah, yeah. he goes, oh, won't. <laughs> no, yeah. you need to act like it. You need to act like yeah, you need to eat dinner tonight. Yeah. Unless, unless that happens. And, um, it was just sort of conveying that necessary hunger mm-hmm. that, um, you know, strangely enough can sometimes be really difficult for entrepreneurs to wrap their head around because they tend to think it's very kind of based on ideas and going and pitching shark tank. And stuff. can we talk about that for a second? Because I feel, I see that here in, in, so you're in Syracuse. I'm in Utica just for context, but it's like the gamification of, business i think has has been a, a you know i i i, t- I do this stuff at, at think here and i i teach uh, or i teach i taught and teach uh adjunct for for mvcc and that's what a lot of people's idea of what a startup is is like here's an idea i go and i i pitch game show style to some wealthy people and they write me a check do you see that out in syracuse i mean i'm sure this is this is probably a, a pandemic of 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 you know of, of issues but um, I've seen that at all age levels, in all industries, in all regions, at all times, just yeah. to, to make it explicit how broad, um, that often is. And so, you know, we could speculate all the time about kind of cause of that. I think a lot of it's sort of in you know, like Shark Tank is a great example that I pick on sometimes, maybe unfairly, but um, it's been a great in sort of the proliferation of entrepreneur, you know, culture in yeah. our broader culture, which is great. Uh, and it's not so much a sort of weird stigma. Um, but the flip side is it's created this very, um, you know, weird um, sort of version of what people think starting a company is in particular one that could raise funding. Yeah. It's yeah. just not, not, not at real. All realistic, uh, at, yeah. at all. Um, not let alone just, you know, the sort of, um, strange depiction of how, how startup financing works. Right. Let alone right. that, that in itself is, is kind of been, um, shifted. But, but even just starting a company in general, um, you know, and it's, uh, it's a, my friend, my friend, Sean Brannigan calls them entrepreneurs. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, know, and and to uh, a certain extent, we, we call, we call some, some folks like that too. And, and, and that's not, we don't mean that necessarily as a, as a, as a bad, uh, uh, term, but a lot, there's a lot of people that like, I know I want to do something. I just don't know what it is yet. Um, and, but, but that discovery part's a whole other, whole other challenge. Um, yeah. you know, 
one of the things I really wanted to just talk while I have your ear and while it's fresh is, you know, you wrote a post in, in December uh, that was kind of talking about your experiences in upstate New York. You grew up in Syracuse? Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised. Cool. All right. I've been Utica for a, wait, what? First generation? First generation American. Get out of here. Awesome. I, uh, my, my grandparents were born in um, what was then Palestine, now mm-hmm. modern day Israel, and uh, fled that civil war to where my father was born in Beirut, Lebanon, fled that civil war in the wow. 70s, landed. This is a true story. They landed in JFK. My, my father was in the middle of college and just applied to every school he knew of um, in the U.S., and it's a crazy. It's crazy how enough they even got here uh, on um, visas to begin with. Mm-hmm. That in itself is a separate story. But um, he never heard back from any of his applications because they stopped delivering mail in Lebanon because of the Civil War. Wow! Literally landed in JFK, had no idea where in the United States they were going to go. My grandmother runs into a former colleague of her at the airport who used to work with her at the American University of Beirut in the math department where she was, um, she sort of tutored and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, there's this lawyer in, in Syracuse called George Mashi. He helps immigrants. You should go, go talk to him. And wow. that was how they ended up in Syracuse. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. 40, wow. 45 years ago, 40. Yeah. That is insane. And so did, did they, um, <laughs> are your is your family still around around in in Q's too yeah my uh my my grandmother's in her 90s now still still lives here in Fayetteville uh my parents are maybe a you know half a mile from me which is nice um but that's really remaining family Mm -hmm. the most part in in upstate um even I have a some family in in Beirut mostly in Jordan uh, and Amman um Cool. So, so you're, you know, I, this also is a, um, uh, an interesting, I guess, perspective on, you know, I, I guess that gives me context around that, that post that you wrote too. And you were, you know, um, talking about how 20, 2020 amongst being the, you know, the, the, the crazy year, and apparently now we're in the sequel. So, um, which is, which is always worse than the original. So, um, yeah. You know, talking about how your perspective has shifted on on entrepreneurship, on ecosystems, and and really how um, it's this it it really resonated with me because I think about this all the time, mm-hmm. which is that idea of how we think about prioritizing not prioritizing but supporting entrepreneurs and companies. A lot of it ends up with middle class white men, and yeah. when you look at Syracuse, certainly in Utica, we, we are we are a community of of, of first gen of, of immigrants of refugees. Um, how do we? Uh, there are, we're, we're leaving behind a big core of our population, and this has made you question a lot of things. I, I was hoping maybe you could dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being a first generation American, I when my I, I now I'm born and raised in in Syracuse myself, yeah. but. Um, we had a family business growing up. Uh, my dad did a lot of work in um, in activism um, for Middle East peace. Um, he was actually at the White House for the signing of the Oslo Accords and stuff oh. like that. Um, you know, all sorts of cool stuff growing up through that. And uh, he gave me 
enormous amount of exposure to the business community, which is crazy to think about bringing your kid to stuff like that, but he, but he did. And that was, you know, massively influential in my life, uh, entrepreneurially and, and an exposure to what's kind of important for helping your community. And so having all of that, I, I never took education for granted the way a lot of my peers did in a, you know, predominantly white suburb. Um, and, um, you know, I never took for granted um, this community. I mean, it was very, for all of, you know, the different drawbacks, the people here were very, um, very, very welcoming to my family. And it was just a great place to grow up. And so when um, got out of school and watched, you know, like so many people watched all of our smartest friends just yeah. jettison out as quickly as possible. Um, that just stuck a thorn in my side. Um, you know, it was like, that's, I didn't really realize truly what was going on until I started to watch that happen. And, um, you know, now I'm of the age like you, or I've got kids of my own who are going to have to make that choice one day. And, um, look, if they want to move to Colorado to go hike in the Rockies, yeah, go for by it. By all means, uh, you know, that's a life choice. Um, but I don't want them to feel like they have to leave for lack of opportunity. Right. Like they feel like their life is destined to work in some horrible, great office cubicle for no money with some company they don't care about if they can even find a job. Like that's, that's sad. Yeah. And um, so that's been a major motivating factor just for background on, in, in my life and, and not just where I spend my career, but some of the volunteer things I did. But, but as I was doing that and pursuing a lot of that, and granted, there are there is a little mini army of, of folks, some who are paid in economic development, but a lot of others as well who believe in that cause. And I, I, 2020 more than anything else really made me question some fundamental pillars in that in 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 that perspective, um, partially for um, some of the challenges it caused for me and my family, which I, which I won't get into, but, um, also just looking at, um, the fight for, you know, um, for racial equality, for lack of a better term, I guess, yeah. uh, over the, over the summer. And, yeah. um, it really, you know, just, I was starting to scratch the surface to gain a little bit of insight about what that really meant. Because there's a there's a tendency. This is one thing that now, looking back on it, really perves me. Is like, um, you'll hear someone say, "Well, I don't really care about you know what your race or background is. I just care about you know X Y Z merit based attribute." Yeah. And it's like that's a total misunderstanding of what's going on here. That's like saying, "Oh, well, whoever whoever wins the race, they you know whoever um, wins the race should be the one who runs fastest." It's like, well, what about the people who can't even get to the starting line? Right. Yeah. Where did you start when we're running the race? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what about yeah. the person who's got to hop that on one leg? Yep. You know, it, it it's it's a it's a just a totally um, misconstrued perspective of what reality is, and I and I fully appreciate that I had that, and um, so it really made me question when you're thinking about some of the just inherent challenges that people in various communities in our own backyard, our neighbors are having to, to deal with in life. 
um, really changed that. And I started to realize that as, you know, communities like ours often will say, you know, we want to be the next Silicon Valley or whatever, you know, stupid phrase, but people know what that means. Um, people are starting to know what comes with that. If yes, (laughs) you know, which is another thing. Homelessness, like an example. And, um, you know, it's like, well, what do you, what do we really mean by that? When we look at what's happening, yeah. who we're helping, we're helping well-off white males from the suburbs so that yeah. they stay around here. And I'm like, you know, I'm all for helping people, but if my friend's going to leave and then go work at, you know, Accenture and whatever, do they really need my help in life? Yeah. Like, really? Is that where my limited time on this earth is best spent helping them do better or, when, or we import or we try to import uh you know uh oh, people yeah it's it's funny i had a uh, a friend of mine because i would bring in a lot of expats to help with some of the startup companies that that we would invest in through Starkfast. and i had a friend of mine who uh he grew up in auburn uh which is a little town just you know west oh, yeah. those who don't know i'm sure you do know but maybe some people listening <laughs> it's one of those one of those smaller ones where uh Seward was has his uh, home and museum. And anyway, he grew up there. He left, he went, he went to Cornell, left, worked in advertising in New York for the longest time and then moved back to be near his, his parents who were getting older and stuff like that. And within the first month of being back, he goes, James, I don't understand what's going on around here. It's like everyone's waiting for some massive company to come and just start raining jobs from the sky. What is this? weird perspective on life and the economy and i was like you know no one's ever really put a finger on it quite like that but you're right <laughs> it's like every, that's just sort of the expectation of how things yeah things work, how things seem to work. i mean I think that's a component you know i think you know the economic development agencies like that's what they're that's that is a component great but that's not the that's not the thing you know i when we when we first um, kind of started this this project here, um, you know. I think a lot of incubators and, and certainly um, programs were kind of had that mission. It was like you know, and I still I still hear um, uh, kind of on, on on both ends. I hear from um, from an entrepreneur side up. Hey, can you can you just introduce me to a bunch of uh, wealthy investors for my company? That's on the on the one end, um, and the other end is hey, can you uh, where are the tech? Uh, where's the biotech? Uh, in Utica. Can you introduce me to the biotech community in Utica? And like neither of those things um, exist, or if they, if they do, they're really small. And, and kind of early on, um, Stacy, who works with me here, we kind of developed what we affectionately call the, the taco truck thesis, which is that um, uh, we don't know how to grow um, an army of super high tech companies. But like, to your point of, of, of Exodus, you know, like, the two prongs that we're very interested in, and one of the reasons I, I'm hoping you have the answers to both of these questions, which is one of the reasons why I want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't expect you to, but if you do, it'd be great. Um, you know, on the one hand, what if what if think or 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 what I do as a um, as a citizen here is able to you know, for lack of a better uh, uh, quantification, uh, help help over a period of years, fifty small but kind of quirky, interesting um, businesses start up here with, with younger people or first gen um, or people that, people that live here. Um, you know, what the taco truck thesis is, let's just say they're taco trucks, but successful and they keep people here. Can we create, can we use those businesses to create a culture that celebrates uh, 
community and entrepreneurship, which then kind of like starts to attract medium-sized companies, which then starts to attract larger-sized companies, you know? And, and instead of focusing on the high growth top-down, like what if we just, you know, pe people don't go to, people didn't originally go to Austin because it was a startup community, right? Austin was a cool, is a cool place. It was a cool place. It could be a cool place. <laughs> um, it was weird, right? And now it's this other thing. And, and the other side to that coin is, is, is Syracuse is, is probably not of the exact um, economics, but, you know, like 20, 25% of the people in Utica proper live at or around the poverty line. And so, you know, the companies that, that some folks that I've worked with want to start aren't going to be, uh, they're going to be lifestyle businesses. They're going to be side hustles. But if I'm able to help someone get an extra three to $500 a month on the side, like that can be economically transformational for a, a person or a family. And those are the kinds of things that I'm kind of interested in. So I guess where I push this over to you is, is um, you know, what are, what are you seeing in Syracuse? Have you, have you seen communities successfully try to turn this entrepreneurship model on its head uh, and try to invest small? Or, or is that not something that you're seeing as, as being effective? Um, you're, in other words, you're saying <clears throat> going uh, to help. I, I, I call them sort of uh, you know, maybe marginalized or often lost over types of communities, frankly, forgotten about. Um, I just think that's a, that's a, it's an, I guess what I'm saying is that's also as almost as, or as a comport, an important component of, of building an entrepreneurial ecosystem and economic development yeah. as others. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, my, my background has largely been in high growth, largely tech companies. Um, but I teach entrepreneurship at Lemoyne college here and, um, I, I'm not biased towards that yeah. by any stretch. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, not at all. I, I find that'll be a lot of fun and, and stuff like that, but, but, you know, it's not like that's a, a perfect recipe. I'm, I'm pro entrepreneur in all, in all ways. I've helped people start restaurants and food carts and anything and everything in between yeah. is, is awesome stuff for me, especially, um, and these types of, um, communities uh not not just anything um that, that that starting a high growth tech company is not possible by any stretch but just you know that often tends to be where someone's passion is or what they want to start out doing and um and that's fine too what i'm what i'm mostly kind of focused on are well it's a variety of a variety of kind of pillars um, one is, as you mentioned, in culture, generally speaking, business culture in the region. A second element of that is, um, I guess, planting seeds in the sense of uh, wanting to create, with each person I interact with, wanting them to be a leader in their own right and push forward the same mantra of kind of paying it forward to other people. I'm very explicit with every entrepreneur I work with that I want you to be successful, but more than that, a year from now, you're going to come across some other entrepreneur who was in your shoes. And I want you to feel the same sense of obligation to pay it forward to them. Not when you're in your fifties and you're successful, like a year from now, now yeah, like right now, there's going to be someone who's just a little bit, you know, um, 
uh, you're a little bit further down the path than they are and you can help them in some way and provide guidance and connections and all of that stuff. So there's, there's that sort of advocacy. Now I, I'm in particularly starting to think more about access to those two types of things, that network and, and, and resources and so forth for these communities. And, and what I'm curious about is one is I, I agree with you, like the impact you can have proportionally for where you're spending your time on, on some, on some of these people is astounding. I mean, you can change, change their life with that kind of impact where, you know, it's, it's helpful for, for some other folks, but it's not the same level of, of impact. Uh, but, but on top of that, um, you know, I'm really curious to see if in the long run, it's also uh, a more successful route to kind of overall prosperity for our region mm. because you're not fighting the same sort of, as you put it, exodus <laughs> of folks just sort of, you know, try, yeah. are, they don't have that same sort of pull. This is, this is their community. This is what they've known. They're not even thinking about moving to New York city normally. Um, and so I'm really curious if, um, that will be the case, but in, in either way, you know, I'm always someone who's very focused on progress and how quickly can we make things move. But at the same time, realize that like community building, it's like a 20 year effort. Yeah. It takes a long time to do these things. And so when you're operating on that type of time horizon, if you really like respect that, then yeah, let's run experiments on these types of things that haven't really been tried before. Nobody's really thinking about it that way. Have you, have you seen anyone that, that is, are there any models that you're particularly looking at that you've seen that are, that are working or is this kind of white space in a, in a lot of, in a lot of ways? I mean, to be totally honest with you, I'm really just scratching the surface to getting to know these communities right now. Like that's one thing that's really top of my mind is like, I'm going in without any assumptions because part of the challenge is like, you know, I was just talking to someone um, who works with um, a lot of Jamaican entrepreneurs, actually, um, with an initiative called Entrepreneurs Across Borders that I think Martin Babinick yep. had started. Yep, with it. Among other things. I was talking to Kevin, and I was like, well, we're talking about, you know, making connections, but I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how often, like, how how ubiquitous are cell phones? Like, mobile connectedness like having access to the internet how you know how common is that even i don't even want to make assumptions because that's a problem now i'm working with hassan stevens here with the good life foundation here in syracuse who works with um you know kind of high school you know college age so i think it's like what do you say 14 to early 20s um youth on particularly the south side and near west side we're dealing with just incredible types of life challenges um, with, you know, in and out of the criminal justice system and drugs and family issues and poverty and everything that, that all that comes with racial challenges as well, sure. you know, just all of that. And, um, you know, I kind of went in and I was like, Hassan, I need you to, I'm meeting with him tomorrow again too. just teach me about some of this. Cause I'm, I haven't had those same life experiences. I've come to start to really appreciate that. But I also, I, I don't know, I, I don't, I haven't experienced that. And I think there's a lot of stuff we're probably going to have to do just to get people in a position where they even can start a company. 
Can you talk about that a little bit more? What, what do you mean from a, from a, uh, from a skill set perspective, from a network perspective, financial, all the above? Um, yeah, but also just sort of a personal, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, an emotional kind of maturity type perspective, especially you're dealing with younger people. So you have to layer that on top of it. But, um, you know, simple things like, um, uh, how would you email etiquette? Hmm. Yeah. Emails, (laughs) you know, um, general business etiquette, um, understanding, um, anything to do with finances whatsoever. Um, all of that, there's like these, these sort of, you know, elements, I think they, of mentorship and education that can be really valuable to before I can even be ready to make the right intro. Like I would love to be able to make some specific intros, but at the same time, if, if they're not really ready, uh, this is goes for any entrepreneur. If you're not really ready for that introduction, um, you know, I don't want you get, sometimes you get one chance at some of these folks and I don't want you to lose that relationship. It's not so much about like, you have to prove to me X, Y, Z. I'm all for open techness. I think that's extremely important to be able to kind of help someone with no expectation of return and not setting up tons of barriers for someone to be able to make that connection. But when it comes to like in this person's best interest, sometimes you got to help them be ready to have that conversation or, you know, what was the point of making the connection? Because they might lose it. Um, so anyway, sorry. Do you, do you, no, no. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, another component of this obviously is, is finance. And, you know, I've talked briefly uh, via email about this, but like, uh, how, how do you get, and, and maybe this isn't even a thing that, that should be, um, I guess I'm thinking about like, how do you, how do you interest the investment? How do you change the investment community? Um, and maybe, and maybe I'm missing a, a big component of this and I'm not trying to label uh, investors as evil. Um, I think it's, it's a matter of, you, tr- you know, most startups are, you're, you're vying for the, the, the highest probability of the highest probable return, right? I mean, you're looking for the best, the best bet. Um, and, and it seems to, seems to me that, um, you know, what, to your point, what does it, what does it look like if, if we change the model? Um, how, how might you, how do you get an investment community built around some of these ideas? Um, or have you, have you had some of these conversations with, you know, people that we would call angel inventors, angel investors, venture investors, um, are folks feeling the same way that, that you are, or have there been epiphanies? Are there, is there initiative around trying to tackle some of the stuff? Yeah. Um, so I'll first lay out kind of, what it looks like, because I think it's a little bit of a black box for most people, frankly, um, who have not spent as many years as I have trying Myself to included, by the tap way. into this and build it out and try yeah. to figure out like, well, what is that around here? And um, so I'll first kind of shed some light a little bit on that in my experiences. And then I'll talk about some of the things that we're trying to do to change cool. things, where things are heading. So um, here's, here's a contrast that I often show just to kind of well, to contrast what it's like in, say, San Francisco um, versus, um, I'll say, most of the country, because that's another point I want to make. Upstate New York is not even close to being unique in this regard. It is most of the country. You can go to very large cities, Phoenix, St. Louis, you know, Madison, you name it, 
cities that are 10 times the size of anything you're going to find in upstate. And the investment culture, a lot of the business culture is very similar. Um, it is the, the, the tech communities where there's a lot of angel investment that is sort of prolific, like we think about, are very much the exception to the rule. So just to first paint that perspective. But um, again, my experience is a little bit anecdotal. I'm sure there's some peer-reviewed research out there somewhere, but- uh, Whatever, whatever. This, whatever. Is not a, this is not a peer-reviewed An journal. academic uh, conversation. So um, here's something I always show. So there was a guy I followed, um, I think his name was also Ryan, I can't remember his name, who founded uh, uh, Product Hunt. Yeah. And I followed him on Twitter for a while. And what was amazing when he sold that company, I think it was to AngelList, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, he started a essentially kind of an angel fund, you would think about it, a very early stage fund. Before he even moved out of his own apartment to buy a house and sold his used furniture. Right? I, don't, I, don't, I, I guess I, I, don't, I don't understand. So he, he started. An, the guy became a millionaire. Yeah. So Multi- before he even moves out. Before he moved out of his apartment to buy a house, he's like, I'll start before a fund. He had sold all of the used furniture he had cobbled together from all of his family. He started a venture fund to start investing. In upstate New York, as soon as somebody has an exit, what's the first thing they do? By boat. <laughs> they move to Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of times they'll move to Florida before they have an exit mm-hmm. just to shelter their capital gains. <laughs> right? And they're gone. Yeah. They're gone. So I always put that on the contrast to just think about the difference in perspective that people have. The one is, as soon as I have that kind of liquidity, I want to start making investments. Yeah. All the other stuff, I'm going to do that. Yeah, he went and bought a house and all that, blah, blah, blah. But immediately started making investments. Whereas you'll have someone, and I've had this conversation with people, they'll sell their company for obscene amounts of money, multiple times than anyone can normally expect to earn in a lifetime. And they're spending more on like a single car than I'm telling them to put into like an investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. And it's just never going to happen. It's like the most amazing thing. Um, So it's just to sort of first kind of create the expectation of of like how different the culture. (laughs) That's not to put, San Francisco on a pedestal by any stretch of the conversation. I'm making a very simplified focused kind of conversation, but, but there is a very big difference in investment culture and business culture generally. Um, You know, most people around here, I think it's just sort of by the nature, this is what I've gathered uh, of how things have developed. We not to look, if we look really far into the past, you know, a hundred plus years ago, we had a very entrepreneurial culture. You know, some of the most amazing things that were were invented here, companies started here uh, in this region. It's what built around here. American Express right behind me, one block behind me, American Express. No, really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. See, like that's Um, You know, it's it's, it's incredible uh, what started uh, uh, in upstate New York. Uh, You can name tons of those, tons and tons of those companies that all that all started here. Um, you know, Bristol Myers was in a mm-hmm. loft in Clinton. You had Western Union that came out of Ithaca. You had yep. Terrier, and you had all these like t- just Titan. Yeah. Um, 
the Brewster Inn where I like to go eat here in Casanova was the first investor in Standard Oil. Let's get out of here. Yeah, it was huh. a summer house. Swear to God, Casanova uh, on Casanova Lake. It's a little inn, and uh, love going there. So it's that was there, but but over time, you had companies sold and they moved out and whatever after the first, you know, after the Second World War and stuff like that. And um, a lot of people around here made money off of those big companies and kind of in their own silos, selling insurance and real estate and all of that sort of stuff. And there wasn't that culture of kind of pay it forward. It was sort of all on my own in my silo, my own corner of the world. I, you know, made my fortune and whatever. And I hang out with the other people who are rich at the country club. And so there's never that sort of sense of, um, duty to want to give back, you know, uh, Brad Feld calls angel investing for-profit philanthropy. Um, you know, there's none of that. So, so there's that and begin with, there's just no sense of kind of obligation to want to do that. Let alone, is there anyone in their peer group really getting too involved in that or doing it in a very sophisticated manner? Sometimes there are angel deals done, but it ends up happening in a really bad way where you'll have like one person who breaks through, they get circled up with all their buddies at the country club. A lot of times those people overexpose themselves into one particular deal on really weird terms that never makes any sense for the outside world. The, the company goes belly up. And, and that's the end of it. They're like, oh, that didn't the end work. Of it. All those people, because of signaling factors, first off, that could have been figured out, but also just the lack of portfolio theory and understanding of mm -hmm. like spreading your bets and, and concentrated risk for an early stage company. They're likely to fail. 90% of seed backed companies fail. So it, it's most likely going to happen anyway. And then it takes all of those people out of the community permanently. All well, at least, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I've had many conversations like, well, I made this one investment once it didn't work out. I'm not really interested in that anymore. Yeah. You know, they moved to North Carolina. I never heard from them, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they're, they're out. They've taken themselves out of the community. Let me ask you, let me ask you this though. So in those, in those circumstances, let's just use those cases as those, those cases that you're aware of an example, you know, um, what, what, what's the, the underlying reasoning, or do you have a, a, a even anecdotally underlying reasoning for, uh, the reason that, that, um, folks might get into uh, angel investment or company investment, right? Is it, is it the prospect of potential, is, is, it, is it financial incentive? Is it, um, is it, uh, is it, you know, kind of social where it's like, oh, we're all going to do this. This is a project like, or, or is it, is it starting to be that pay it forward mentality? There's a lot of reasons people do it. Um, you know, I think smart investors um, think of it as a genuine um, portion of their overall investment portfolio. Usually mm -hmm. a smaller portion, mm -hmm. rough rule of thumb. People think of like 10% or less, but you know, um, yeah. it's a higher risk than, than normal, probably Yeah, it's higher risk, but you know, historically speaking, venture returns have been higher than the stock market if you do it right. Um, so, you know, you can make a good amount of money. Um, you know, we've, we've had investors from start fast who made a enormous amount of money. You could, you know, I, I won't go into the details, but tens of times of return on their investment from particular startups. Um, 
You know, you have uh, ACV out in Buffalo that's supposed to go public, and that's going to be enormous, you know, for certain people. Um, you know, uh, so you can. Um, but there's also other social aspects of it. So um, there is the pay it forward mindset that I talked about. But there's also more of a social aspect of like um, getting to know your peers in this sort of environment. Uh, we had a lot of investors interested in Starkfast that we were building out who want to do it because so-and-so who built a similar company like theirs is doing it and they want to learn more about it. It's like almost educating the next generation of hmm. investors yeah. and th the social aspect of doing it. It's like a lot of people, frankly, would rather do this than be part of a country club. Sure. Uh, so, well, so then how do you do that? I mean, is there, do you, do you think that there's an, an appetite or, um, or a way to kind of shift, shift that thinking into some of these um, underrepresented communities and companies, large or small? I do think that it is possible, again, taking that longer term horizon. Um, it's, it's a different story with someone who, um, who, had, who made their money in an investor-backed company from someone who did. So hmm. that's one important. There's also, so there's, there's a lot of, I, you almost have to really think of it as two camps. There are kind of traditionally younger, we'll say, usually like 50 and below um, folks who in upstate, like in the region like upstate, may have made their money in a company that was investor-backed. Uh, and especially if they're in a technology-based company or whatever, um, there's still challenges there too, by the way. I'm not, not to make that, you know, totally rosy picture, but it's a different mindset and everything like that than someone who, you know, built an insurance company over 40 years and sold yeah. or, or wealth management or real estate or whatever. Um, total, different in various different ways. So you have to kind of tr treat them as separate target markets. Um, the, the venture backed folks um, are much more interested in, in kind of like low buy-in, being among their peers, interested in this sort of stuff, uh, and, and tend to understand um, the landscape of it better because of their exposure on the other side of the table of it. So I, I find that they're sort of lower hanging fruit. There's fewer of them. Um, a lot of people are still haven't fully exited their companies and have that kind of liquidity to make big investments, but um, they're an up and coming class. The, and that's where I think I'm, I'm most optimistic. The other side, the, the, the old money, if you will, um, is hard. I mean, last time we spoke, I told you about the angel investor events that I was putting together. Yeah. Um, I'm continuing with a lot of stuff like that. And it's just a long haul of creating a lot of exposure and connectivity and showing people that, you know, this is real. And like anything else you take is the the wins you can and you snowball them as much as you can over time and you have to be persistent. Can I ask you just a, uh, maybe just a personal question. Are you, are you more encouraged or discouraged than you were a year ago when we had that conversation? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't mean to laugh at that. I just, I, I, I thought there, there was going to be a clear line of delineation. Well, part of it is, quite frankly, I haven't um, spent a whole lot of time, given the year we've had, sure, sure, thinking about that. Um, I would say on the neutral slide to slightly optimistic. Okay, I'll tell you. Optimistic is where I'd probably put it because I've seen more 
seemed more interest than I was expecting. You know, if I'm if I were to be really kind of um, you know pessimistic about it, we'll say. Um, but uh, but you know, there's still you're still fighting a lot of the same cultural battles. From, can you talk a little bit about um, what Startfast is and your role in Startfast? Um, yeah. For people that don't know what it is, just a, a kind of a quick overview, and then, um, you know, what are the one or two areas of, um, uh, what I would say like, areas of education that that you see are are that entrepreneurs that participate in a program like Startfast um, really are are either missing or, or needs need some help with, and and is there any crossover with folks that are are that are not doing larger scale uh, venture companies that need uh, to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, part of the, the challenge there, and this, this will cross over generally, is um, a misconception about what an investable company is and what companies should be thinking about private capital. That's a challenge too. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, it, People tend to look at their companies and thinking, oh, I should go to the venture background or whatever. Um, when, you know, I'm like, you know, you can make a lot of money not doing that. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, I, there's there's that, that challenge in general. So um, I'll kind of explain some of the, it all really relates to what is the calculus on the other side of the table to determine what is an investable company at the end of the day. Um, and that is often, again, a bit of a black box for most people. They, they just tend to think of, well, if I can have a very successful company, they'll write me a check. And it's like, that's about as deep as anybody kind of goes into it. And I understand that. There's not a lot of information to have exposure. Um, in a, when you're looking at, especially we'll, we'll focus early stage for right now, and like angel, like almost very early seed stage kind of stuff. Um, there are certain elements that are super important and it all really comes down to kind of understanding how the venture portfolios work at that early stage. So they don't work on the same way your investments in the publicly traded companies would work where you have kind of a normal distribution. You know, you're going to have some that don't do well, some that do really well. And then a lot of them just sort of trend towards some average of whatever the, you know, uh, S and P is doing that here. In startups, um, the failure rate is so high, right? That most of your companies that you invest in, even if you're a professional investor, are not going to return you basically anything, if anything. You have to go in expecting that because of the high failure rate. So what does that mean? Well, that means if you're going to return something, the companies that do return have to return huge. Like the record business. It's the hit business. Yeah, uh, you're you you got to hit a, a home run, big home run, you know Barry Bonds home run mm -hmm. to make it work. So the general rule of thumb is the top performing company that you invest in. So if you let's say you invest in I don't know ten different companies, the top performing one is going to return more than all of the rest of them combined. Probably maybe you've heard that before. Yeah, but um, that's the idea. And so, well, why am I going over that? Because that translates to what types of investments I'm going to. I will never invest in a craft brewery because a craft brewery is never going to be that top performing company. Every investment I make has to be capable of being that top performing company. That's why you often will hear 
an angel investor wants to see at least a 20 to 40 X or whatever return on their investment. Why is that? It's because every investment they make has to be capable of being that one, because I don't know which of the 10 that I just picked is going to be that one. But they all have to have the potential. They all have to have the potential. Otherwise, if I invested in the craft brewery and that's the one that hits, it's going to return me two X. Well, that's not enough to make up for all yeah. of the companies that failed. <laughs> it's death by a thousand cuts at that point. Yeah. So I've lost. So scalability, the inherent scalability of your company is huge. And scalability means the size it can be, meaning the valuation it will grow in the time it will take to achieve that. So that's another element that people don't think about. It's like, you're not making an investment that could be a huge company in 30 years. It needs five years. <laughs> yeah. Five it needs like yeah. five years yeah. to be able to hit a really, really big number for my small slice to be big enough to make all the economics work. Yeah. So all that stuff starts to ripple down into what types of companies are actually venture back. Well, it's a really small set. Honestly, I've heard people say, you know, it's like I'm selling rocket fuel. Okay, what's the market for rocket fuel? Well, it's people who have rockets. There's not a whole lot of them out there. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a different um, mindset. And the flip side is, you know, you don't want to force your company to be in that necessarily, because uh, there's a lot of challenges that that comes with too. Um, you know, that I could spend forever on. Um, yeah, and it, but, it's it becomes not your company anymore. Yeah, that's a big part of it too. And I, I personally, here, here's an example that I always use just to paint the picture. I personally know someone who was the founder of a company that sold for $300 million and he still needs to keep a day job. Because the dilution, because just he, the, yeah. the, the pie kept getting smaller, huh? Pie keeps getting smaller and it's really simple. Like, let's say they raised their latest round at $150 million. And the investors had like a 3x liquidation preference or something. Well, guess what? <laughs> you weren't 3x when you when you when you exited. So all of that going back to the investors to make up for those terms. So what's left over for the founders? Nothing. Nothing. No, nothing or little. Yeah. So now that's not always the case, but it's it's you know it's simply to say like you have to be really smart about how those economics work out and decide whether that's the right thing to do. I've, I've spoken to a lot of founders who were just determined that oh, I'm going to raise this investor backable company and whatever. And I'm like, you know, really think about that. It might not even be in your best interest. It's not yeah. even insane. like I have, I am personally looking at a lot of opportunities in my own business career that are not investor backable on purpose, because if I play the economics in the right way, you can actually do really well. Yeah, you come out ahead. And yeah. and so it's um you know, anyway. So let's how does this all, you know, we you've kind of given I, I think myself and anyone listening kind of a, a a 101 primer of like what an investable company is, what the investment landscape is. How do we tie this back into underrepresented and underserved communities? Because there's a there's a way to uh, uh, to, to, to move things, to create more opportunity. And what are, what are you, you, you mentioned, you've got a few things in the fire. Um, what are some of those, those initiatives or ideas that you have? Sure. Um, so, um, right now, uh, what I, after I wrote that 
post. Um, I'm not someone who likes to, you know, just sit back and contemplate and debate and set up roundtables to have sort of abstract discussions. I'm a bias towards action type of person and dive into the problem and figure it out as you're running along. As By the way, did you get any other, like, or, what was the feedback of that post? I mean, were people like, yeah, totally. Or, or, or was there, was there, was there any other reaction besides me? I, it's just, I just really, I, I, was, I really uh, identified with it. There was a lot of people who, um, you know, kind of gave a thumbs up or pat on the head. Um, some enthusiasm like yourself, some skeptics, you know, um, it was a mixed bag of stuff, but, um, that was kind of what I expected in putting that out there was a bit of a challenge to see what that react. One, I wanted to see what the reaction would be like, but it was also a bit of a challenge to everybody else to really start thinking about what you can do. Cause that's one thing I think people don't realize is like, they just, and then again, in a bit of a culture around here in general, but maybe even broader than that, they just sort of say, well, isn't that the government's problem? Isn't that why we have economic development, blah, blah, blah. Like, what can I do? Like, well, you could do a lot more than you think yeah. you could. Um, so, so I started thinking about what I could do and focus on my own efforts. And um, so one, the, the biggest sort of initiative in that was I, I um, was talking to my good friend and mentor, Martin Babinick, about it. Um, he had just launched his book, which jobs. is just on my shoulder there, more good jobs about it and, uh, about his experience in kind of building communities and stuff like that. And we were talking about how I could help him with, with some of the things he was thinking about. And I really encouraged him to, to dive into this world and say, you know, Martin, there's a lot of these communities that are existing entrepreneurial communities, by the way, you know, um, that are already con congregating and, and working as a community that are just not tapped into. They're glossed over. They do not have access to the same types of networks or resources or mentors or information or any of that stuff. The leaders in the communities don't know anything about community building the way that we think about it. And it's highlighted even that he talked about in his book. So I said, we should work on that. So we're, we're running a pilot year where um, we're working with three specific communities in the Syracuse area. Um, the Good Life Youth Foundation, Entrepreneurs Across Borders, and uh, the Wise Women's Business Center are kind of the three, you know, existing kind of communities of, of folks that we're working with. And um, it's a pretty open mandate in many ways um, to, to dive in and see what we can do to help. And my first sort of order is, is I'm working with the leaders in each of those communities to try and understand more about the challenges that each of them face and how they operate, um, as well as what we can do to, to help out. So it's an exploratory year, but I'm diving head first um, to, to try and help them out. Uh, and ultimately, my, my goal is to help those entrepreneurs be successful, to start paying it forward to the entrepreneurs around them and create their own leadership and help find the networks and resources and things we can do to tap into them. Um, Tell them to be successful. And I, and more importantly than all of that is to set it up in such a way that I am not in integral to the process. Cause otherwise that's a, that's a longevity problem. I, I, you know, so to the extent that that can start to take on its own momentum and stuff like that, planting leaders is really, really critical. Um, so, yeah. 
how in in the very limited amount of time that you've been kind of working on this i realize it's january 2021 yes <laughs> you know i saw i saw a great tweet the other day and it was uh, unfortunately during the um uh, uh during the 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 insurrection at the Capitol and, and someone said, uh, um, want to feel old? It's still today. And I said, yep, that's exactly how I feel right now. In the limited amount of time that we've had, you've had kind of working on, on this, um, you know, what are the things that, that you've learned so far and, and how much of this in terms of, you know, when you, when you talk about providing, you know, assistance, planting leaders, uh, do you have any sense of, of, of at least what your first, ex- um, initiatives might be how much of that stuff is is simply community building uh, i shouldn't say simply community building it's wicked hard but community building versus i think when we we tend to think of um working on entrepreneurial problems um and certainly i'm guilty of this too i fall back to programmatics like what programs can we run that do that but that's not always the answer either what are you seeing or what, what where's your head at right now in terms of what a first step might be i think it's largely kind of understanding we'll say the spectrum of entrepreneurs that we're dealing with in terms of their, what their readiness and what they're doing. And this is something I've experienced even working with students to a smaller degree, which is like you work with students and you have a handful that are taking a class because it fills an elective, no matter how many times you tell them not to do that, they still do it. You have a handful that are like, oh, this is really cool. I'm in the entrepreneur camp. You have, and they're kind of half-hearted about yeah. what. And then you have some who are, they have a legitimate business and they're washing cars or they're making soaps or they're doing whatever. And it's like, that's really cool, but it's going to take you some effort to build that into like your job. And, you know, maybe there's some reluctance in doing that, but, but they're generating some sort of revenue. And then you have that small sliver who are like doing something that is unbelievably cool, um, really making a go at it could genuinely be, have a serious business by the time they graduate kind of situation. And so I'm expecting to kind of walk in and see some spectrum like that, where you're going to have some folks who are just so many steps behind being ready from social factors and things that are not outside of their control. And then some things maybe that are in their control that are going to need a whole host of different things to start moving up that kind of ladder of readiness for lack of a better term. And then you're going to have some that are like, wow, actually, you know, you're doing something really cool. You, you, I should connect you to so-and-so and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm expecting that. I don't know what that ladder looks like yet um, to know if it's programs or resources or people or, or whatever. Yet, honestly, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm very kind of jumping in this eyes wide open about what all of that could be mean um but but i'm expecting it's going to be something like that and hopefully there's a few where they're ready and i have the resources that it's a good fit right now can i ask you you know earlier on in the conversation you were talking about um you said oh i'm it's, i can't remember the exact words that you used but you said like um i'm trying to go into you know the situation like like assuming that i know nothing or like i the, you know um and I can't remember exactly what, what the descriptor was, but there was something around that, like, it's like making no assumption. Yeah. But we all, like, we all, we all have a, a worldview. We, have a, we all have inherent biases. We all have assumptions. I mean, are there, how are you consciously, are you just like telling yourself like, you know, nothing or just shut up and listen? Like, what do you, how are you, how can you cultivate that? Cause I think that's a super useful skill. This is outside of the kind of, um, you know, the sphere of, of conversation yeah. we're having, but it got me thinking, I was like, how do you, how do you do that? 
Yeah, that's a huge, that's a very important skill for every entrepreneur, frankly, to, to get good at that. And like everything, it's just a lot, a lot of practice of doing that. Um, but ultimately I kind of go in at like first principles and just ask questions. I don't, you know, asking questions as opposed to making statements or suggestions and starting even many times at the very basic level. And I ask a lot of open-ended stuff for people who are more knowledgeable to kind of tell me what, where they're at. So like, you know, I'll talk to son. what are you doing right now? What are the challenges that people have? And as he starts to like dive into all that stuff, it just starts to paint a picture of kind of what that starts to look like. And you start to be able to layer in, you know, certain elements of understanding on that. So it requires some patience. It requires a lot of self-awareness. Um, and, um, but you know, with, with a lot of practice, you just start asking your first principle type questions and, um, you, you get, you get a much better perspective on what that looks like. That's a lot of times why I will encourage someone to explore if, they, if they're like, I want an idea. I don't know where to start. I tell them to like pick a market they're not even familiar with and start to try and learn about it. Cause there's also some benefits of that lack of bias. True. You have on that. True. You know? Um, no, that's very interesting. Well, listen, I'll let you go. I've, I've eaten up a lot of your time, but this is cool. Let's just do this again, uh, preferably yes. with, with uh, uh, maybe in person next time or with a beer or something. I'd love um, to. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you letting me record it because I think there's a couple other things that I've talked to you that I'm, I'm also working on too. And I want to, if you could, keep me in the loop somehow um, of you know the things that you're learning because this is a problem that we, I shouldn't say a problem, this is a challenge that we've got in, in Utica, in Syracuse, across the whole country. And I'm, I'm, I want to learn from what you guys are up to, try to help do our part to crack it. I want to get you and your community involved because it takes a community effort yeah. uh, to do it. So we will 100% be in communication about that in real time, um, for sure. Where can people find you if they want to contact you for any reason whatsoever? Uh, James at startfastventures.com. Cool man. Uh, and you can link, find me on LinkedIn. I'm just James Shomar out there. You're always on LinkedIn. Yeah, I try to keep, you know, it's a good platform. I used to post blogs and stuff separately, but I find it's really easy to get that visibility on that. It's sort of professional Twitter in a, in a sense. I'm not a big social media person, but yeah. things a little bit different. So, uh, but I'm very open, very very reachable uh, on purpose. I think that's a good practice for anybody. Um, so, but anyway, thanks, Ryan. This is yeah, been- I appreciate insight and time, man. And, and I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your week and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Take care, buddy. Take care. See you. I want to thank James from for connecting with me uh, via via Zoom. I don't like the Zoom stuff as much as I like being in person, but this is this is just what it is now. Um, but grateful for for his his time, and I think this is probably going to be a conversation that we continue to have and we continue to um, uh, elaborate on as as we all kind of are navigating um, these economic development waters and, and a changing venture uh, and investment landscape. So there's there's just so much there's just so much work to be done. There's so much to do, and um, uh, grateful to have grateful to have James on the show today. So, uh, hope you guys uh, are, are enjoying it. Thanks for sticking with me. I know we took a, a lot of time off. Um, Going to be starting some some more newsletter stuff with, with just some of the stuff that I find on the web. Uh, it doesn't have to be podcast oriented. So you could learn more and and subscribe at rustbeltstartup.com. And uh, I'll see you guys next time.